There are uh, times when someone will see uh, my wife and I together and I'll get this question. Uh, they'll look at me and they'll say, how did you end up with her? And these people obviously don't know me very well and what a great guy I am, but, um, but, but I get it. And then I'll, I'll see a picture of my wife and I together on my phone or in our house or you know, on Facebook or whatever, and I'll say, oh yeah, that is actually pretty amazing and incredible how that happened. I think our relationship with God is kind of the same way. There's a lot of times where God just becomes very familiar to us. We don't really stop and remember just how amazing and incredible this relationship is. In order for us to stop and to remember, we, we have to take a look at the picture of the glory of God. The glory of God is God's infinite and intrinsic weight and worth. God's infinite and intrinsic weight and worth. In the scriptures, there's a man named Moses. And God uses Moses in a very particular way to bring about freedom for the people of God, the Israelites who are enslaved or are held captives by the Egyptians. And God brings their freedom and kind of in the middle of their journey, um, the people of God do what you and I do very often is they become impatient, they become forgetful, they forget the benefits of God, and they begin to worship idols. In fact, they construct this giant golden idol. And Moses, who has a very unique relationship with God, in fact, the scripture says that Moses speaks face-to-face -face with God the way that you would speak with a friend, but Moses sees this idol worship becomes enraged, becomes furious. God is also angered at this as well. In fact, God says to Moses, I know I'm leading you to this promised land, this land that flows with milk and honey, this destination that I have set aside for. I know I'm leading you there, but I can't go any further with this stiff-necked, stubborn people lest I consume them. And so God says, I'll just send an angel and he'll go with you. And Moses says, if you don't go, I'm not going. If you're not with us, we will not get up and move from this place. Exodus chapter 33, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. It's not enough just that you're sending us to a promised land. If you yourself are not with us, I don't want anything to do with it. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. If that exchange wasn't audacious enough, Moses takes it a step further in verse 18 in chapter 33. Moses says to God, now show me your glory. He's not asking for more information about the reputation of God. Moses is asking for the reality of God in his life. Show me your glory. Show me the reality of who you are. I know we have this unique relationship already. It's not enough, God. Give me more of your presence. 
That request honors God, and God honors it. In Exodus chapter 34, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's the first time that God has ever introduced himself in that way. God honors this request by Moses, and then centuries later, he sends his son. He sends his glory. John 1, 1, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul talks about it. He says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. When we remember the glory of God, we remember the person of Jesus. We stare at the picture. And in that picture, we see Jesus. We see God in flesh, a God who brings healing to the sick, a God who brings dignity to the outcast, who brings sight to the blind, who brings freedom to the captives, hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless, a God who brings mercy to the guilty, a God who brings peace to the broken, grace to the wandering, and love to the rebellious. And through his name, through the name of Jesus, we now have a new name, a new future, a new inheritance that is incorruptible, kept, will not fade. We continue to sing. And as we do, we hold up the picture. And we remember just how amazing and incredible this relationship is. And maybe even this morning, we ask the question again, how did we ever end up with him? Uh, people that know me well uh, make fun of my bad memory. Just, just see Tyler Johnson, it's a constant joke. And I know it's bad at this point because uh, people start quoting me and I start writing it down because I think it's a really good thought to remember. So this is all twisted and backwards, but it's true. But here we are using this idea of remember to describe our entire morning, okay? Um, great look at the character of God, who God is, something to consider and to worship today. I, my task is to have us stop and, and think about what God has done. And I know what we do. If I said, here's your assignment, church, go write, go write the sermon, you, you could do it, and, and you'd be right. His blessings and salvation and forgiveness and a covering and righteousness, and you would go on on mercy and grace. You'd fill notebooks, and you'd be right, and that's what we're going to talk about, but I want to do it from a different angle. Because I, I think the strength in what we're remembering isn't so much in the fact that we could list out the facts. But as someone once said, a promise is only good as the person who makes it. I think it's essential that we look at it from that angle. In fact, this is how I want you to think about it today. What we're here to remember is what God will never forget. And that's a big difference. I mean, Paul did a great job talking about the character of God, but one of these aspects of God is his faithfulness to his own word. He will do what he says. So every bit of promise that you would write down, everything that God has done for you, that you celebrate, that you sing about, would be on a list simply because God won't ever drop the ball on you, on any of those things. That's why it has value. Uh, the, the psalmist writes, my, one of my favorite psalms, 
That's Psalm 103. Ta- talking about how God and his promises affect me, okay? And I, I look at Psalm 103 like it's my, like my journal, okay? But this is how the psalmist begins this psalm when he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Church, that's what we're here to do. To, to remember and, and to not forget his faithfulness. So, so let me unpack it just as the writer does here. Verses eight through 17, kind of skipping around a little bit, it's powerful what God will never forget. This is how he starts out in verse eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Here's the first thing God will never forget, that he shows mercy to the people who don't deserve it. That's you and that's me. I mean, just in that one sentence, look at how much this lavish love of God looks like. Merciful, pardons. We are in an election year and it's typical for presidents who are leaving office to just start handing out freedom cards, you know? You're pardoned, you're pardoned. No matter what you've done, you're, you're free. And there's something in us when a human sets someone free who's guilty, feels kind of weird, like somehow justice has kind of been averted. But when the one who's been sinned against says you're free, it changes everything. That's how, that's how God treats our sin. He pardons us. He grants us this mercy. We throw it around a lot, this idea of grace, unmerited favor that God, be, in spite of us, extends love, kingdom love to, to his people. He talks about slow to anger, patience, everything I'm not, he is towards me and my sin and failure that he abounds in steadfast love. Think about it this way. We use the same words, but it's a totally different dictionary. I say I love my truck. I say I love my guitar. I love my wife. I love, I love Sunday afternoons. I love a sandwich. It all fits under one subject. I love. But when the eternal, all being God, says I love with a steadfast love, it's as much affection as an infinite God can put towards something. That's what it says. That's what explains him taking on flesh and coming to this earth and dying intentionally on purpose. It's the steadfast love of the Lord. Don't forget what he will never drop, this this idea of his graciousness and his steadfast love and his mercy and and his patience. There's another thing that this text tells us in verses 9 and 10. It's that he, he tempers his wrath, and I'm glad he does. Look at verses 9 and 10, or just listen to it. He says... He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Anybody in here happy that's there? Okay, everyone should raise your hand. That's a tip right there. That's a good promise. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve, okay? I looked this up. I don't, we don't use this word much, so I wanted to find it. The word chide. It, it is this idea that, that God has been most dishonored, and yet he will not remain irreconcilable. In other words, he's not at all like us. How, how many of us have files, like really detailed files on the people who've done us wrong? People we don't want to talk to anymore. People we want to keep our distance from. The people who are going to hurt us again. Those people. Everybody. That's us. God doesn't keep lists like that. He doesn't stay grumpy at people who dishonor him. That's what that means. He's in a hurry to welcome us back. In fact, this is the truth you gotta get your head around. He's more ready to forgive than we are to be forgiven. That just blows my mind. I'm not necessarily that interested in dealing with my issues and my sin, but he is so passionate about giving me forgiveness that when I was dead, he made me alive through Christ and his spirit, right? So he's more into our forgiveness. We need to be reminded of this truth 
that God will never, ever neglect the affection he has for his people. And every day we live in that world. You, you did not pray for it, but still he feeds you. You did not ask for it, and yet he gives you rest. You um, sin, and yet the Holy Spirit still brings conviction, even though you sin in the same way over and over again. And, and we fall, and he still calls you a child and a daughter <laughs> and a son. That blows my mind. Nothing changes how he treats me because he is quick to forgive. Listen to what else the text says, that he forgives all our sins. This story gets better, church. Lean into this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I don't know how far east is from the west, but if I got on a bicycle and said, I'm gonna go from the west and I'm gonna go get to the east, you'll never get there. You just keep going that direction, right? Of all the kind of word pictures that the writer could use to describe the distance God places between your iniquity and his judgment, that's the statement. He remembers it no more. It's not coming back as an accusation against us as his people. He removes it and he puts it so far away from us, according to this text, you and I can't find it. That's good news. That's how far he's removed it from us. Our sins can never come back to haunt us. Satan can't even bring them back and say, see, you're guilty because he has paid for it completely in the blood of his son. Amen, church? As far as east is from the west. Listen to this. Almost done. The text goes on and says this that he always remembers. He remembers our frame. Listen to this. As As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but, but dust. Now, I don't know how you take that phrase. It might be a little offensive to you because you want to think you're more than just dust. But here's how I look at it. Our God knows everything about me. He knows my inclination and my weaknesses. He knows my struggles. He knows my, my shortcomings. He knows my fears, everything that causes anxiousness, anxiousness in my soul. God knows me precisely. And here's what our culture does. Our culture says you pretend, convince all your people, including your family, that everything's okay, that you're okay. You spend your life, I spend my life pretending to be something that we're not, hoping that people will just like us or will be acceptable or won't be judged. That's how we kind of, in the core of us, that's how we treat things. But nothing is more liberating and satisfying than to be fully, fully known and yet fully accepted. And that's what that says. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows why you do what you do and what you're going to do after you think about it. He knows you. And he knows how you're going to respond to the weight of the world on your shoulders. He knows that we're made of nothing. And he's holding it together by the word of his power. That's what he knows. That our God is so familiar with us. Now watch what it does to us. When you're okay being fully known like that, you can rest. Can't you? You can just rest because there's nobody to impress. There's nothing to win. He just loves in spite of us. One last thing the writer says. Not only does he know our frames, here's what he never forgets. He secures our eternity because he secures us to himself. And that, that's where it comes from. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. You and I have a hope. This steadfast affection lasts forever 
and ever and ever and ever and ever and all God's people said, amen. That's what we remember, what he will never forget. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this reminder, this truth that you have loved with an everlasting love. Your great patience and kindness and mercy and grace were lavished on us in Jesus. You have made us your children. You removed our sin as far as the east is from the west and we are free. You know us completely and you formed us before uh, we ever were aware. And yet, God, we uh, at times wander away and stress about things um, that aren't for us. So we are here to remember, God, more importantly, what you promised what you've committed yourself to, what your character has uh, made a commitment to. God, I pray that brings peace to our souls. Amen. One thing that's apparently clear in the Bible is this. Our world belongs to God. We've spent uh, this whole morning reminding ourselves of who God is and what he's done. And we have to remember that our world belongs to God. Now, you and I all live in the real world. And if you were honest, there's moments when you live in this world and you say, if this world's God's property, and if this world belongs to God, I'm not certain God is overseeing it in a sufficient manner. Because the reality is life's hard. And to say life's hard is too easy of a statement. Life is filled with anguish. Life is filled with loneliness. Life is filled with fear. Life is filled with violence. Life is filled with hatred. Life is filled with confusion. So what is that? If our world belongs to God, why is the world the way it is? Well, this is the thing I love about the Bible is it gives us answers to real world questions. Too oftentimes, Christianity is viewed by those outside the faith and inside the faith too much as a religion that's out there. It has everything to do with the here and now. Why is the world the way it is? Because the world ran away from God. That's what the Bible says, that the world God created ran away from him, including you and I. That in the prime of his creation, males and females rebelled against God. Didn't just run away, but rebelled. It was like a runaway thief. And ever since, the world ran away and we ran away from God like runaway thieves. He has made certain his promise that the world in which he made and the creation that he has made of which you and I are a part, he will not lose. Because our God is a pursuing God and our God is going to claim what's rightfully his. And so we must look at these things in the scriptures. One of my favorite passages in Hebrews chapter 2. And it speaks about that nothing else in creation did God call us to be subject to. He called us to be subject to Christ because Christ is Lord. And then the author of Hebrews knows in his writing to people that experience the anguish of life that they're going to go, everything's to be subjected to Christ. Well, it doesn't feel like that. And so then he says, but we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We don't yet see it. 
What Jesus Christ has done in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, one. It's complete, but it's not yet finished. We're at a point in the story where we don't yet see everything in subjection the way it was designed to be under the lordship of Christ. But God's a promise maker, and he's not just a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. How was he going to fix the world ultimately? Because his character mandated that it be fixed, and he's a promise keeper. Well, the book of Hebrews says we don't yet see everything subjected to him, but we see Christ who suffered and died, the lamb. We just sang a song in which you sang lyrics that said the lion and the lamb. And the lamb is that God comes into this world of anguish, comes into this world of sin, comes into this world of violence, and takes it all upon himself as a lamb sacrificed that victory would be won. We see that, but if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you go, but why don't we see it in its fullness? Why do we still live in this world of pain? And that's because the Bible says we're waiting. The book we just finished, the book of Titus, says this very specifically, that we wait, Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope. We wait because we still live in a world of pain, anguish, a world of sin. We wait for our blessed hope. Hope. The way the Bible talks about hope is not going last night in the third quarter, I hope Golden State wins. Hope in the Bible is sure. It is a promise. He's a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. We wait our happy, that's the word blessed, hope that will remove all of the effects of sin in our world and in your and I's hearts if we believe. We're waiting the blessed hope, the appearing of the great the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what, what appearance is he talking about? This is not the appearance in which he was the lamb, but we're awaiting the appearance in which he's the lion. Remember the word you sang? The lion and the lamb. He came once as a, a lamb, but he's coming next as a lion. That's our hope. Our hope that's sure that when we put our faith and confidence in him, in only him, we are purified as he is pure, that when he comes back as a lion to do away entirely and completely with Satan, sin, and death, we are found in him only in faith. Our God is a promise maker. He's a promise keeper, and he will display for us in all of its reality that this world, including you and I, belong to him. And why he's waiting now is an opportunity that we may believe in him and only him. Our hope is in the appearance of him once again, not as lamb, but as the lion. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now, as Tim said, that this is a moment for us to preach one to another, that we would push ourselves into your love that we would be flooded by your grace as we're about to sing. And then as we finish out our morning and we sing this reality that you live, the God that we serve, you, Lord, are not a dead God, but you are a living God. And because you live, we can face and thrive into our tomorrow. In Christ's name we pray, amen.